0: you want to know it all, right? So you want to, I want every piece that, you know, Kevin worked for you and Lauren worked for you. I want to know all of it, but then it's, you know, kind of a trial and error process, or you just kind of think a way through it or, Hey, I like it. I understand why that worked for you. I had this thing that I do a little differently that actually works better for me. Not that yours is wrong and mine is right, but you know, so much of this. And once again, another, I think that has led to me being more successful is it's all about what can I communicate to the athlete I'm working with? You guys know this. And what can I get them better using, right? So, you know, in, in, in the football quarterback world, we talk a lot about like having a toolbox, right? So whether it's like a footwork toolbox, all these different, a three-step drop, a five-step drop, seven, oh yeah. I need the biggest toolbox I can get. But, you know, I then need to know which tool to use and that specific instincts for what that quarterback needs.
1: All right, welcome to The Path is Stilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. And today we have coach Sean McAvoy from QB Takeover. Welcome to the show today, Sean.
0: Hey, Kevin, Lauren, thank you. Happy to be here.
1: So can you take us uh, tell us a little bit about you and then a little bit about how you got involved and what you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm based in Georgia now, and I'm a private quarterback coach or quarterback trainer. Uh, private meaning not like a high school or a college coach, but just individual kind of work for the quarterback in his development. So I was a high school football coach, coached high school football for 11 years. That was certainly kind of the the start into the industry, if you will. Um, and it started out really kind of quiet. Just the quarterbacks that were on my team, I would do additional training with them in the off season. So I worked with two or three guys that I was going to coach in the fall anyway. And then you know you get a little word of mouth, and you start picking up another QB here and another QB there. And um, you know probably for about six, seven years when I started coaching, it was just something I did on the side. Um, a couple quarterbacks here on the weekend. And then as we were able to to kind of move through and you start building a little bit of a client base and then kind of the big transition tipping point for me was we relocated. I'm from Philadelphia originally relocated from Philadelphia to Atlanta and we'll talk through the whole story, but it gave me the opportunity to kind of pursue it full time. And that was the path that kind of started me on to where I am now, where it's what I do exclusively now in the private quarterback training space for about the last five or six years. Uh had the opportunity to work with, you know, top quarterbacks at the high school level, big group of guys, some of the best guys, names that you would know in, in college football, and then with NFL players as well. So it's been really neat. Uh, what I thought was just my passion that I was fortunate to do a little bit ended up being this, you know, I think the best job in the world at this point.
1: Sure. So take us back. How did that um,
0: your interest in football begin? yeah so my dad played college football he played at Villanova um, which a lot of people know in the Northeast as a basketball yeah. school but mm-hmm. um, now play FCS level football but at the time was a was a Division 1A program um, so I think early on I remember you know, going back to Villanova, obviously, my dad had already away before he had kids and things like that. But we would go back to Villanova games. And I remember going as like a, as a toddler and you go meet the equipment manager at Villanova, who was there when your dad played. And he, hey, this was your dad's locker and things of that nature. Right. So it's definitely born into you this passion for the sport passed on from my father, we started playing in about middle school. I have an older brother. And so we were you know, basically did our football journey together through middle school, through high school. Um, so I think the love for the sport came from that. Uh, I played quarterback uh, just in high school. I was severely limited by uh, athleticism and skill. But, you know, obviously having played the position, uh, I felt like maybe I had the self awareness to understand that my path as a player wasn't going to go much higher than the high school level. Um, and I think it gave me the opportunity to to pursue and start thinking about the sport differently. And I think, you know, kind of that transition into, hey, I want to be involved in this. What's the opportunity for me to do that? Uh, coaching became very natural.
1: So what happened at the end of high school?
0: is it- Yeah, so after high school, I went off to college. And I was fortunate enough to be going to school close by where I grew up. And so one of my high school football coaches ended up uh, starting a new high school program. So this is a uh, suburbs of Philadelphia area, a school called Avon Grove high school. Um, my head coach, Mike Duggan, who probably has the most to do with me having this opportunity now, 20 years later. Um, but he had started a, a new program and he needed help, right? He needed help building it. And I was local enough and we always had a good relationship. So I was super fortunate to, become a high school football coach when I was still like 20 years old, you know, still in college. So now you're coaching kids that are 17, you know, and, and having that relationship, being able to kind of relate to the players in a different way than maybe some of their other coaches could, um, you know, it was a really unique opportunity to be so involved and obviously having the trust from coach Duggan to, to kind of do what I felt was right from a quarterback training standpoint. Uh, And then on, The other piece of that was I was super fortunate to have two really talented quarterbacks right out of the gate, you know, got nothing to do with me, but guys that went on to play division one college football. And so you got to work with really great talent right away. And so it's certainly a learning process, you know, Hey, how can I get the best out of this guy? I barely know what I'm doing, but let me learn and research and, and figure out more to really help this player who you can tell already has a big future. Um, So that was kind of the my entrance into the high school football coaching space and and for the next like seven eight years it was i just want to be able to do this you know now high school coaching means you have to be at practice from like 2 p.m to 6 p.m you know for four months out of the year well that's not very conducive to like any other job you would want to do Um, and certainly that $5,000 I was being paid to coach high school football wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to live off of it. Um, so I went through like kind of a path of like different jobs, mostly in the hospitality industry, basically just trying to find something that I could pay bills and live off of. But the number one thing for me was it was allowed me to coach football.
1: Before we get too far into the story, you mentioned you recognized after high school or during high school at some point that you didn't feel like you would be able to continue. Yeah. Um, was that a battle in your own head or how did that go down for you?
0: Not really. You know, I, I never really was thinking about it at the time. I, I think that the landscape has changed so much now. Right now, like you're in a world of like if you're in seventh grade, you have to be on Twitter and Instagram and you're already trying to get and, you and, know, and, and it's not. Foolish, colleges are offering kids in seventh and eighth grade now. But I don't remember that being a thing. Maybe just I was never talented enough to have to worry about it. But it it seems like it's changed so much. So I remember even playing in high school, even sophomore, junior year, or like your start, excuse me, starting as like a high school quarterback. There was never even really a thought of like scholarship opportunity. So I think, I like to think it was self-awareness, but I, I think it was also that just, You know, there was just not that path wasn't there for me. So it wasn't something I had to, you know, really struggle with. Um, I just really, it was cool. I got to just really enjoy the moment, which is one of the things, and we'll get into it later, but that you feel like guys miss a little bit now. You know, it's so much of the focus has to be on the next thing. You know, if I'm in high school, it's like, well, what what college am I going to get a scholarship to? Then you're in college and it's like, how can I get myself ready for the NFL? And, you know, and I, I think it was nice to be able to just enjoy the moment we were in.
2: I was also curious, you mentioned, you know, kind of initially when you're getting involved in coaching and you're young yourself that you mentioned the idea of like kind of doing some research. So what were some of the early things that you did to try and learn how to coach?
0: Yeah, you know, early on, it was a lot of, uh, like, clinics, right? So high school coaching clinics were very popular. They still are now, but with the way internet is now, and we can do so much of this online, the old go to the hotel and have 20 (laughs) colleagues coaches come in, you know, they're not as popular as they used to be. There's probably two or three really big ones every year, but um, early on, it was that. So you go to these clinics, you're in this hotel conference center, And you'll have like, okay, the QB coach at Penn State is in this room talking quarterback play and the defensive coordinator at Michigan is talking. So you kind of like would look at the schedule, the menu, and kind of be like, all right, what's anything that's quarterback related, right? I don't care about the defensive lineman stuff or the defensive back stuff. And so quarterback, even then and still now, is so specialized. Mm -hmm. And there's just so few people that that are really into that space that you would go to like a three-day clinic and there might be two things that kind of brushed upon quarterback play. Um, So you just make sure you circle those and you make sure you were at that event. And, you know, that was a mixed bag too because the reality is some guys were really good and smart and some guys were coaching the thing that they had learned when they played 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so at least you just kind of started to fill yourself with information. And then I think the hardest piece is filtering it out what's good what's actually helpful what can i use with you know this freshman in high school that's going to help him develop and what's like neat i want to keep it in the back of my head maybe i can look into that a little bit further and and there's some value there um but i think that was the beginning of the path it was a lot of coaching clinics um just just trying to collaborate with other people who were coaching quarterbacks, you know, that's the one thing I really love, still do about the high school coaching um, fraternity, if you will, uh, is that there's so much collaboration at that level. And so coaches are willing to share ideas and, and talk and hey, give me a best practice thing that you're doing. How does that work? It's a little bit less of that in the, QB training space I know you guys are familiar with the way things are now and you know I was listening to um to uh to coach paying and some of the other people that you've had interviewed before how about you know it's maybe not as much of a collaborative effort at that level people think that they're doing things good they want to keep it to themselves and um there's a lot of I don't know jealousy bitterness or whatever that runs rampant but um at the time there was just a lot of willingness to share information and so I just tried to soak it all in You know, I think that's been a thread for my development up till today is just, I've never kind of lost that, you know, I don't pretend to know it all. I don't think I have all the answers and whether I think somebody else is the best quarterback trainer I've ever met or isn't very good. I still think there's probably a piece of something I can get just through talking through it. So that was kind of what set me on the initial kind of research journey
1: to follow up on that. Uh, you mentioned it might have been a transition-type period for the field itself. Um, yep. How much of a role do you see that your mentor that you were, had the opportunity to work with played in that? And was there resistance among any of the players or even other coaches because it was a transition?
0: Yeah, um, you know, not really. I think I was very fortunate, you know. I was, to, to take it back just a little bit earlier. So I think I, I mentioned that big tipping point being from when we relocated from Philadelphia to Georgia. Um, in that time when we were in Philadelphia, I was working with Marriott. I was in the hospitality industry, uh, and, and loved it. You know, it there was so much correlation between managing associates and coaching, right? It's the mentoring, it's the literally the term coaching, getting people to do what you need to do and, and, and help them learn, uh, take those next steps. And, and the crucial thing was you had to be able to communicate really well and you had to get them to buy into what you were doing. Right. And so I was seeing it daily of, you know, I was managing these 15 front office associates or I was coaching high school football. It was the same idea. Like I better prove to them that I'm in it for them, that I'm going to help them get to where they want to be and then, you know, get the steps. So we all kind of raise what we're doing. Um, so I love that atmosphere and it was really neat to kind of get to use what I thought was my skill set. In both of those areas but it was funny to me what clearly that was my career you know I was a department head and front office managers at a couple of different big properties but I always thought of myself as like a quarterback coach who also worked at the Marriott <laughs> right and clearly it was the other way around but even then and like I said in the moment I don't think I realized it but I I felt like I what I wanted to do was always gonna be the football piece and I was just very fortunate to work with several general managers who were willing to let me work you know it's football season and they don't need me in the hotel at 4 30 in the morning right because nobody's awake yet but they you know hey coming at 4 30 you can stay till two you can get out to practice right which is very fortunate a couple places to have that opportunity but so when we came to georgia i'm getting around to your question here in a (laughs) second when we got to georgia uh very fortunate where, you know, cost of living decreased going from Philadelphia. My wife has a really good job. We have four kids, two at the time, but now up to four. Um, But we were fortunate to be able to say, I think we can do this on one income. Like we can, you know, allow me to say, hey, instead of throwing all this time and I had a good job and I liked it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Very fortunate to be able to say, hey, I can kind of pursue coaching full time and knowing I was going to have four or five clients in the first year and I wasn't going to make a lot of money and you just, um, but it was something we were able to do. So that was kind of that springboard tipping point I spoke of. So when I made that transition and back to the question you had earlier, Lauren, about the, like the, the research and, and how I found information that was where I think I dove in full board, Mm -hmm. you know? So then it was researching online, getting stuff, you know, off the internet, you know, finding books about quarterback development. And and that was where I kind of found, I think, my first two mentors in the quarterback development space. And it was really trial and error. It was like, hey, who can I, you, what can I come watch whatever you guys are doing? Can I come, you know, you guys are running a camp, you know, I'm happy to like volunteer and, you know, I'll set the cones up for the drills <laughs> if that's what you need me to do, you know what I mean? Um You kind of have to put your ego aside because I thought I was pretty good. I thought I knew what I was doing. I certainly was training quarterbacks in my own right that were having success. But, you know, it was more important to me to to get in and be exposed to something where I could learn than it was about saying, you know, I'm the guy and this is my thing. Um, So one of the earliest kind of mentors I reached out to, uh, a coach named Darren Slack, um, Dub Maddox. they run a company called National Football Academies. And it literally was a thirty year um academy designated to just developing quarterbacks, you know starting at the youth level they would do like fifty camps a year all over the country um and they had a certification program you know basically the program was there they had put out a book dub mag or sorry darren slack and will hewlett, who still will is one of the big guys in the quarterback development space um they'd written a book about the mechanics of, of a quarterback. And it was a book that I read and that I found a lot of knowledge in and really it seemed to mesh well with things I thought were important. And so stemming from that, you kind of do a little research. Okay. Who's, who are these guys? What? And then you see, okay, these are the founders of national football academies. These are the co-owners. Oh, look, they have a certification program. You can actually go and work their camps with them and learn firsthand. And, um, and through that process you know was able to make kind of the first three or four like really important connections for me guys that to this day were on a a group text that goes back and forth daily right you know just talking yeah i saw this on instagram what do you think of this look at this ridiculous drill or wow this is really (laughs) good you know like whatever it is um and just guys that you 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 bought in and kind of you just you're able to share ideas freely and you know if, if someone finds something to think is really good is really helpful you can't wait to jump on the text and send it to the other five guys and hopefully it helps them as well um i kind of went full circle here oh, but no. i kind of get around to what you were <laughs> asking there kevin i was trying to work my way to it eventually no that's great no,
2: but it's, it's something that's so fascinating right because as long as sport has been around there there really until fairly recently hasn't really been coach education like now there yeah. are some you know uh, you know graduate programs some certification programs i know several colleagues that are kind of working in that space but up until recently it's really it might sound i don't, I don't mean this in a bad way but a yeah. coach is as good or as bad as they want it to be yeah. like what you're talking about yeah. right like as much work they've put into trying to develop themselves is as good or bad as they're going to get
0: it's exactly right it's one of the things that you know we we talk about a lot within the community and we kind of you know, the frustrating piece is that there is no, you know, there's no, like, you had to take QB coaching 101 and then graduate to be able to be a private quarterback coach. Anybody can do it. It's pretty simple, right? Like, so create a website, throw yourself up on Instagram, and you're off and running.
2: <laughs> so now
0: that creates this, you know, this, you know, I hate to use the word industry, but I'll use it a lot throughout this talk, I'm sure. It creates this industry where you you certainly have all these different levels and you know, if you're a parent searching for QB training for your kid, or you're a, a college player trying to get the most out, it's really hard to to find out. You know, I think one of the reasons uh, that I looked into that certification program with National Football Academies was: is this something that, like, at least sets you above everybody else? You know what I mean? And once again, a certification program only matters as much as anyone cares about it. So when I was certified with National Football Academies, that meant something to some people and it didn't mean anything to a lot of people. And so it just still was what it was. But, you know, I think it's definitely as the, as you've kind of grown in the space a little bit um, it really just becomes a, uh, you know, can you show, you know, that you've done something right. Is there, is do you have this kind of living resume based on the quarterbacks that you've worked with, what success or lack of success they've had, um, and really just, you know, are you doing it the right way? It becomes really the number one. It's like a recommendation, just like anything else, but it's like a, re- You might as well have a Yelp reviews for quarterback <laughs> coaches. Right. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, so it's been pretty neat to kind of maneuver my way through that a little bit. Go ahead, Lauren. Uh,
2: so if you, um, <laughs> if you think, look back to kind of those early days of coaching, when you do that, what do you th- think? Are some things that you're like, oh, I was actually pretty good at that even from the start? And what are some things that you're like, man, I am glad I figured out how to do that better?
0: I mean, I used to laugh. Like the first, probably right around that transition to getting involved with National Football Academies really started that deep dive. You really start to learn more about, you know, not just the proper way to teach things but you know you start to learn more about kinesiology and you start to learn more about how the muscles and everything work together and rotational power and how to generate more force that was stuff I didn't know right and so I look back at these really talented quarterbacks I had early on I was like damn like you know I, I killed those guys you know what I mean like you didn't you actually <laughs> gave them everything you had and you certainly helped them because like man if you wish you knew then what you know now and you felt like you really could have you know maybe taken them even higher but you know I think you have to be just realistic about, you know, I don't think there's anything I look back and was like, man, that was dumb. You know what I mean? I Because I think I always tried to do a good job of doing the best I had with the information I could find. You know, it'd be one thing if you just kind of sag around and sag, oh, I got that one K on Saturday at training. I just showed up and went out and went home. Then you look back and say, Well, I think I really, but I feel like, you know, I wasn't the best of all time, but I feel like I was putting the time and energy in to try to be the best I could be. Um, so there's a point where, you know, you have the regret of like, you wish you knew the information then, but not like you felt like you weren't doing what what you were supposed to be doing. Um, but, but I think that, I mean, monthly, you know, I look back a month ago and was like, man, I wish I knew then what I knew now. Right. And then, which is cool. I mean, I think that's partly why I've had success and the guys that, that I still continue to talk to daily and collaborate with are those people who are continuously seeking to get better and get smarter. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if they learn something today that means that the thing that they coached six months ago, the thing that they wrote a book on, maybe the thing that they put all over Instagram is like, this is the way to do, if they find out something today that means that was wrong. I associate with people who are fine admitting that and making that change. And I think that's very rare in this profession, really a lot of professions to be able to say, listen, I, you know, I know better information now and I have a better way of doing it where you see a lot of guys are just continuing to do the way they've been doing it for 15 years. And maybe they've had success with it, but I'd argue it's probably not the best way right now.
1: And I had this question earlier, but I didn't necessarily know if it was a good time to yeah. throw, it, throw it in there, but um, kind of similar to what you just said. Has there ever been a time that when you guys are sharing that information as a group that it works for one, maybe two of you, but it doesn't the others or any.
0: Oh, I think, I think that's most of the time, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing you found out is you want to try to, you want to know it all, right? So you want to, I want every piece that, you know, Kevin worked for you and Lauren worked for you. I want to know all of it, but then it's, you know, kind of a trial and error process, or you just kind of think away way through it, or, hey, I like it, I understand why that worked for you. I had this thing that I do a little differently that actually works better for me. Not that yours is wrong, and mine is right. But, you know, so much of this, and once again, another, I think, that has led to me being more successful is it's all about what can I communicate to the athlete I'm working with, you guys know this, and what can I get them better using, right? So, you know, in, in, in the football quarterback world, we talk a lot about like having a toolbox, right? So whether it's like a footwork toolbox, all these different, a three-step drop, a five-step drop, seven, oh yeah. I need the biggest toolbox I can get, but, you know, I then need to know which tool to use in that specific instincts for what that quarterback needs. Um, so I think a lot of it goes into that boat where I'm talking mm-hmm. with Dub Maddox or, you um, you know, talking with Will Hewlett or some of these guys in the group text, Johnny Ulibarri, like really smart coaches. We're all kind of, hey, this, look, I was working this. Here's some video. Look at this thing I was doing with this QB where we're we're trying to focus on the deceleration phase of, of the throwing motion. And, you know, and then it, we just start talking, you know, it just becomes a thing. And Will will say, hey, you know, I have a similar thing that I've been working on. Take a look at this. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, I love that a lot more. Sometimes I'm like, nah, my stuff's better, right? But, um, but it's it goes in the toolbox, right? Because I might have a quarterback that my thing isn't working with, and it's always nice to have that. Well, maybe if I show it a different way, this drill comes at a slightly different angle. I think we're trying to achieve the same goal, but, um, you know, being able to have those things at, at your disposal to use, I think, is key.
1: Cool. And so, I guess back to your timeline, you've yeah gone through and gotten certified uh what happens
0: next yeah the- so so after the certification prog- uh process with nfa they then take their certified coaches and they start to pull them into the group of coaches that run these camps all over the country. So remember when I went in, I was just trying to, maybe a certification gives me a certain level of credibility. That's good. I know I'm going to learn a lot more just being around these guys who've been doing it for a long time. And I thought from the books and other things I've seen doing it the right way, that was my goal. And then it was like, Oh wait, you can like work like 10 camps a year all over the country with these guys. Like cool. Like love to be a part of that. Um, And so that process kind of started. I was doing a lot of camps kind of in the Southeast. Like I said, I'm based in Atlanta, so I would do the Atlanta camps. I go down to Orlando. I do Charlotte and, you know, uh, Nashville. And, and, you know, I do, we do like two camps in each of those cities a year. So you do like 10 camps just in those five cities. And, um, you know, through the years, it's been go out to California, go out to Denver, go up to the Northeast and, you know, kind of got to travel and do a bunch of different stuff. But the biggest thing was it just exposed you to a ton of different quarterbacks. You know, the thing looking back that has been so valuable is understanding how to kind of uniquely teach all these different quarterbacks, right? From different you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds and ethnicities and just different localities and just the way they communicate, the way they talk, words they use, things of that nature, right from all over the country, not to mention just differing skill sets from your best player to the guy who's just starting. Um, And so that kind of threw you in and you had this opportunity now to, you know, work with and I was putting air quotes because like, you know, I was doing a two day camp. I got to work with them for, you know eight hours over two days it wasn't the same as like what I do now but you got to work with hundreds of quarterbacks every year um and you kind of get to hone your skills right and you and you create this repetition because you can imagine a camp setting it's a pretty similar schedule camp to camp um so you know part of it is okay We're this is the drill we're going to do and I'm going to stand there for three minutes I'm going to explain what the drill is the why behind it here's the key coaching points so then you know at the end of the year you've made that speech you know like 30 times right so now you're like you start to just be better at ever standing in front of a group and commanding their attention and making sure that they're engaged in what you're saying because it's certainly if just running guys through a drill where they don't understand the purpose or the intent of anything you're doing becomes the most meaningless thing they could do there um so, it's just a cool opportunity to have exposure to all those things. And, you know, at each stop, you start collaborating with more NFA certified coaches. You know, I knew the Southeast crew. And then you go out to Denver and you get to meet two other guys who are really, really good that you didn't even know were out there, right? Um, and w- so, you know, I think the biggest value for us, and we laugh about it all the time as coaches, is going to get beers on Saturday night after the day of the camp. Cause that's when we just kind of sit around have a drink, have dinner, and we just start talking football and talking, you know, in this very – I don't know that there's ever an opportunity where you have 10 guys and all we care about is quarterback play. You know, that's it. There's no, like, hey, this guy wants to talk about defense. Now nah, we don't care about that guy, right? We're only talking about quarterbacks. Um, you know, and some of these talks go into, like, 3 in the morning, right? It becomes one of those. And just the amount of knowledge, you know, that I probably – and, like, the the advancement of, of my – you know, whatever, my career, I guess, from those talks has just been, you know, invaluable, you know, so much more than the, the camps that I got to work.
2: I would imagine one of the things that developed through all of this is your coaching philosophy. Yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about that. What is your philosophy and how yeah. has it changed over time?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I think it, it was always very player-centered. You know, and this goes back to kind of the the Marriott background and the management. It was just I knew right away, even really back to when I started coaching high school football, where I was two years older than the guys we coached. Right, like you had to you had to get them to buy into what you were doing. I talked about this before. You you had to show them, you know, you kind of had to earn your own respect, really. Right, you know, football is one of those sports where it's preeks that you're the coach, I'm the player, I look at you, I nod my head, yes, sir. But the reality is just like anything else, that's not the way life works, right? Like a 17 year old kid can roll his eyes if he thinks you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, for me, it was right from the beginning, I understood it was so important that I just, that we connected outside of football. You know That he could trust me, that I was gonna help him get to where he wanted to be. And if I could earn that trust, then it was, Whatever you want, you know. I hey, hop on one foot, spin circle 30 times, do a forward roll. That's going to make you better. If he trusted me, then he'd be out there doing it for an hour, right? Um, so, so important to to start there. Um, then from there, you know, in the in the training world, there's really kind of two big in quarterback world. There's really two big methodologies, if you will, in my opinion. There's kind of this ground up training approach. You know, it's all about the footwork. You know, if he's under control and stable and he's got great footwork, then he'll make good throws. And then there's kind of the, you know, upper body first approach, uh, talking about the arm path and arm acceleration and, you know, how quickly. And, you know, we're talking about a rotational athlete here so no different than golf you know i thought i'm forgetting the name but i listened to the podcast you did with the um, the guy Matt. from golf and body yeah it was fantastic and it was like you know i'm nodding my head as as he's talking i'm like yeah this is so much of what we right um so i don't know what the equate i don't know if there's like an upper body lower body to golf really i'm not you know what i mean but in in football there's obviously the lo- the core and the lower body that you're creating all the rotational power and then there's the upper body of the arm which is your accuracy your ball flight and so having great power with very little accuracy isn't going to help you in the same way that being accurate without, you know, being consistent and generating good power. So I feel like and it's changing a little bit now, but at the beginning, so much of the industry was a waist down approach. The cynic in me always felt that that was because guys didn't understand how to teach the upper body, right? It, because that's definitely the more very specific, you know, the different pieces of the arm path and and how to, to make sure that we're, you know, kind of tying everything, keeping the sequence of the upper body. It becomes very specialized. It's one of the things that National Football Academies and guys like Will Hewlett always did a really good job of. And it's kind of why I gravitated to them because I believed in that approach and here's guys that I think are teaching it better than anybody. Um, so that still now has been my approach where – if I have a quarterback I'm taking for the first time, once again, it's, let's have them buy in, let's let's find some kind of relationship, what can we relate to, what, you know, and then it's, I, I want to see just how you're throwing in general. And my big focus is on your upper body, right? Because the reality is, you know, if if he can be consistent and repeatable in his upper body mechanics, then in theory, he'll get the same results. Right. If he throws the same way, the results will be the same. Now they could be bad. I must say cursed for a second. I don't know what kind of (laughs) podcast this is. Um, you know, it might be really bad results, but at least they're gonna be the same. You kind of count on what they are. So consistent repeatable is key. Then obviously it's about doing it the right way and being efficient. So once we develop these this good, efficient, repeatable upper body mechanic, then I think is the time to add the power, talk about stability, be more consistent with our platform that helps then stay consistent in the upper body. Um, but that's always been crucial for me where, like I said, the other mindset or methodology is I'm going to make them really sound in the lower body. We're gonna do a lot of footwork drills. We're gonna do a lot of stuff around cones and, and that type of thing, but kind of the way they throw is the way they throw. And that's one of the things, you know, like I said, that I'm a believer that you can obviously improve a quarterback's upper body mechanics. You can help them be more efficient in the upper body. Where other guys would almost say, How that you know that you can't fix that, so we're going to work on what I can control. And then his throw motion is just throwing motion once again. And I've matured, so I'm not as bad, but the cynic in me would say, Well, that's because you don't know how to do it, so you don't focus on that, right? But
1: well, you mentioned Coach Payne earlier, uh, yeah, Brandon, Coach Brandon Payne, um, and he mentioned that one of the things that he's always tried to do is not perform an exercise or drill without understanding why have you noticed a difference in the caliber of player that you work with uh, maybe the higher caliber player is more interested in why they're doing it
0: oh, no, no doubt no doubt you know like you know I think the easiest thing to do in in private training is to make the kid who just started playing thirty percent better in a month right it's Kind of the easiest thing to do, like you give them like two big focus points, so all they care about is like, Man, I'm throwing better than I threw last week. I don't care if you made this up, An alien told you the why doesn't matter to me. I just this is better than it was before. I think the the most uh, what's the word like, um, like the coolest part of this that wasn't the word I was searching for, obviously, but um, is making the best guy, like you know. Coach Payne was talking about 1% better every day. You know, I don't even, it might be a 10th of a percent better every day, right? But it's that idea of, you know, if you're with Deshaun Watson, he's he's one of the best quarterbacks in the world right now. One of the top in the game. Pat Mahomes is doing his thing. Deshaun Watson is right there. You know, that's a guy that he better understand why this is important to him. It goes back to the buy-in piece. It goes back to the earning the respect piece. We'll, we'll go back through the the path here, and I'll continue on. We'll talk more about Quincy Avery in kind of the last five years to this point. But Deshaun Watson's a quarterback that has worked with Quincy Avery since he was in high school. He, they're best friends. Talk about that relationship they've built, and that's his go-to guy. But Quincy and I do everything together, so I'm around Deshaun a lot. And But Deshaun doesn't know me from, you know, at least when he first met me, from Adam, right? I'm just some guy. You know, I think there's a little bit of a, okay, he, he knows Quincy, trust me, so there must be some value here. But there's a way, like, there's initial couple of sessions. I better give him a reason to, like, listen. You know, next no shock at Deshaun. Deshaun's the nicest guy you ever want to be around. But, you know, he wants to know why he's doing something. You know, and you see that. These guys at the highest level, the NFL quarterbacks were lucky to be around. Deshaun Watson, Dwayne Haskins now, Josh Dobbs. These guys – are. I mean, Josh Dobbs is a, literally like an astrophysicist, right? He's like a—he's he's literally like a, um, like a, like a space whatever. So these guys in their head are just nonstop thinking about their craft and thinking about how they're getting better and, and what they're doing, and and they need to have that understanding of why this is important. What what should I be trying to achieve from doing this drill or focusing on this? and then they have the ability then to feel it right and then okay so am i getting what i'm supposed to be getting and if i'm not do i need to adjust or is this just not working for me and i want to try something else um so no doubt that the best guys to answer your question kevin are they they're challenging you to give the why but it's a good lesson because i believe that everyone needs to know the why you know i think if 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 i'm doing what i'm doing the best then there's a point where that quarterback doesn't need me. Now, I don't mean ever, but I mean he shouldn't need me for the next two weeks because I want him to know everything we're doing, why we're doing it, and I want him to understand as much as I do, right? It goes back to the, you know, having the knowledge doesn't matter if I can't communicate it to the player. Um, And so he needs to understand why we're doing this, what it feels like, what it's supposed to feel like. So when he's in a game, right, he misses a throw on second down, he doesn't get to look at the sideline to me to tell him what went wrong. He need better understand what happened and then how to, you know, self-correct is the term we use and kind of set him on his way. So that understanding of the why needs to be a foundation, I think, for everything we do in this.
2: No, and I think that's, that's such an interesting point you just made that has been – the word coming to mind is an argument. I don't know it's necessarily been an yeah. argument, but it's been a topic of discussion, I think, in both coaching and in education that we, especially early on, we do so much just telling, telling kids, telling people what to do. Yep. Yeah. So then later on, they have no idea how to actually evolve that into knowing what to do themselves because we never taught them to, to know that. We just basically, here, do it. Yeah, go out and do it. And then later on, they have no idea how to evolve that because we never taught them those principles underlying it.
0: I agree 100%. and It goes to like, what, what's your purpose, right? Like, I'm trying to actually accelerate this person's development, I want to make him better. And if he only knows to do what I tell him, I'm not making him better. You know, he's better when I'm standing next to him. Which you know, is honestly, like, it's hard to, to push that aside because you know, in this space, you, you know, you have a quarterback comes to you and he's paying you money to make him better. You know, and if it's a younger athlete, his dad is standing next to you on the sideline watching you do it. So there's definitely like this, like, man, I just let's, like, Hey, so throw a couple good ones. So your dad thinks I know what I'm doing, right? Like I can see it. And I tell quarterbacks this all the time, guys, that once again, once you've earned that trust, you know, we'll go and we'll, I'm trying to put them in difficult situations. Right. Like I think back to the methodology piece, I think once you teach them a certain concept have them understand it, this is what we're trying to do. Then it's like, I'm going to try to make you fail. You know, like, this is what you're trying to do, but I'm going to make it as difficult as possible. And sometimes, and you know, and there's another thing coach Payne talked about with Stefan, you know, sometimes you have a shooting day where it's not a good day. Right. And I certainly have a lot of that in, in quarterback sessions. And sometimes you have the quarterback and his he, head down a little bit and he's thinking like, man, did I, and I tell him, I'm like, listen, the, the, the meaningless thing would have been if you came out here for an hour and every throw was perfect. Like it would have been cool. We would have high five. We would have been like, <laughs> yeah, we're so great. Right. But I don't know if he got any better. He might just have a lucky day or really what probably happened was I only did drills that I know he could do. The easiest thing for me to do, I know these quarterbacks, as you know, you work with them, you know everything they do well and the things they don't do well. The easiest thing for me to do is create an hour session where he looks like, you know, Tom Brady, to some extent, his version of Tom Brady, right? You just, if he can't throw on the run, well, we're not doing any of that, right? We'll just do all stationary stuff. He throws better to his right. All the throws will be to the right. So it goes back to that earning the trust and being able to have the quarterback understand, you know, we we we're you know, first of all, development's not linear, right? So we're gonna have these moments of, you know, we're gonna have these great month and then we're gonna have this two week and he didn't get worse to get better. You know, I know people talk about that in golf a little bit of like, well, he changed the swing. He had to go through the, I don't feel that in, in quarterback development. I don't think there's ever a point where you get worse, but there are parts where we're, we're forcing you under much more pressure, under much more stress. And so you might not have the success, you know, I don't know what success in a private training session is really, right? No one's keeping score, but you'll have these moments where you struggle through and that's how you learn the concept. You know, we talk about guided self-discovery all the time in this space. You know, I think football more than any other sport is there's so many external things you can't control. You know, at least in basketball, there's defense, but the rim's in the same spot every time, right? So there's certain things. And football Nothing. The target is everything's changing all the time. And so we're trying to create these problems for the quarterback and then using the knowledge that we've given them, that we've worked through, that we've drilled through these specific drills. Now can they kind of self-discover the answer to this problem we create? And the more difficult the problem, going back to the Sean Watson, Josh Dobbs, that's a super difficult problem. And so we want to create the most difficult, complex scenario we can in a private training environment. And then can he use everything he knows to solve that problem? You know, and, and, and the more we're pushing, the better. You know, I tell some guys, it's like, okay, say, imagine I taught you how to hold on to a telephone pole, right? This is the way you do it. You lock your fingers around the pole. This is how you do it. Now you know it. And then I want to like crank the fire hose at you and can you hold on? Right. That's kind of the, the mindset. If I'm squirting you with a, you know, water pistol. Great. Oh, this is easy. I can hold on all day. We need to apply the pressure and try to find the breaking point. And if we can't break him, man, he's going to be really good on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, if we can, well, that's great too. Now we know we got to hit that a little harder. Maybe I got to come at it a different way. Maybe he's not understanding exactly how or he just needs to repetition to continue to grow and develop
2: well and that's such a interesting thing i'm going to butcher this story because i'm bad at remembering details yeah. but there's a fascinating story from an olympics years ago um i think it was the one that was if i remember correctly it was the one that was one of the ones that was in canada summer olympics where the favorite the u.s favorite to win i think it was high jump um ended up uh not not winning and there was a this whole kind of story behind why his performance got messed up but this young kid from i think Poland ended up winning and when they looked at what he did to prepare they found that his dad had set up a high jump i think in their backyard and literally turned a hose on him yeah. knowing that at that time of the year there was going to be a lot of rain and like you know that could be an obstacle that he might face that would challenge him so this young kid ends up beating like the favorite you know the one that was like i think the world champion at the time because of of some challenge that his dad put into training that tried to prepare him for what he was going to potentially encounter
0: that's exactly right it's like a rocky training montage right like (laughs) you have to do it the harder way and then but (laughs) but that's it i mean i i think at our best like i said this becomes increasingly more difficult to do when you're working with the highest level athletes but you're trying to create scenarios in private training that are more difficult than what they're gonna face on the field. And if you're achieving that and the guys are having success in that environment, you know, you're leading yourself to to kind of, you know, where you wanna be.
2: It's a huge topic of conversation in, in sport and performance psychology right now. You know, how can we in our field help coaches athletes teams introduce this into their training right because especially i think about this you know with quarterbacks right like mm-hmm. you mentioned it's one thing to to execute a skill in practice when you can control a lot of the factors it's another thing to do so when the factors are constantly changing and it's under pressure yeah you know, and there's all these other things at play
0: that's right and then and we're only talking about the physical part of it you know like I don't know, you can argue that 90% of the game is the mental processing of it and, ma- and reading the defense and making good decisions. And, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of other ways we're attacking that side of it as well. But yeah, we're only talking about the physical and you can understand how many different, you know, moving parts there are. So.
1: How many times do these high caliber cerebral players bring you challenge? Like, has anyone ever said, I want you to challenge me on this? Or do you tend to yeah.
0: No, I, I think there's a little bit of both. You know, this is, uh, l- let me take you through the story real quick, catch you up with like where I am with Quincy now. Cause I think that'll <laughs> set a foundation to what we're about to talk about. So kind of the, the national football Academy's camp thing had been going on, been working a lot of camps. You know, the cool thing is you pick up a couple clients here and there, right? There's like the guy that gravitated to you when I was in Nashville and now there's eight kids I train in Nashville or Knoxville, right? And you kind of, so you're able to kind of grow your base. And then uh, I was very fortunate to kind of pick up like three or four of like still the best guys I train now, the guys that were division one players, guys that have real shocks to play in the NFL. So now you're like, okay, now people, you start to, people know who you are a little bit, you have a little reputation, but in our area, Quincy Avery was like the big guy. So in the loosest definition, I guess we were competing against each other for quarterbacks. I don't know how many of those I won, but um, you know, it, it just never felt that way. You're in a you're in an environment, especially in Atlanta, a football hotbed where yeah, there's like 600 quarterbacks, right? Like no one can train them all. So like in this weird way, we're in competition and there's two other coaches in the area as well. I never felt like we ever were battling for a court. Guys just gravitate to who they think mm-hmm. helps them, whatever they mess with. Anyway, along that process, I had some really good guys, a quarterback named Malik Willis, who went to Auburn University. He's at Liberty University now, was just coming out of high school, just going to Auburn. And I look over and see Quincy and quincy has got, you know, just Deshaun and and, and Josser in the NFL now, right? He's got this next caliber of, you know, these Justin Fields and Sean Clifford at Penn State and this, this crew of, and I'm like, I need my best college guys to be doing what the other guys are doing. And once again, this goes back to the, I just want to collaborate. I, the ego gets put aside. I, and so we end up kind of reaching out and I, we, there was a Trent Dilfer, people know uh runs a league 11 um and runs an event called qb epic and there was a qb epic event that was in atlanta and i kind of reached out i was like hey can i just come out and volunteer and you know i i coaxed quarterbacks you know he didn't know who i was but and quincy is a big league 11 uh staff member and is a big piece of qb epic and that was the time where we got to spend i got to spend like the weekend three-day weekend with all these great quarterbacks from all over country but then the league 11 staff and you get to meet trent dilfer and you you start to make these connections and you kind of get an opportunity to prove that you know what you're talking about. Right. And from there, Quincy and I started to talk a lot like, Hey, let's just do some stuff together. You know, let's do some group things. Do you need help with anything? I'll just come out. And once again, I'll set up cones, you know, like to this day, I'll set up cones for anybody. If it's something that I just want to be around. Um, And so that kind of started the beginning of the partnership that has now become quarterback takeover. Um, So the last three years, We just, we're doing everything together. You know, we have uh, two big events, our flight school events. Yeah, there's Quincy Avery there. Um, Two big events every year that we call flight school, um, where we bring in about 100 quarterbacks from all over the country. All of our top college quarterbacks, you know, so last year it's Justin Fields, it's Sean Clifford, it's Jalen Hurts, you know, before he went into his draft process. Um, You know, Dwayne Haskins has been there. Deshaun Watson comes out. Um, You know, I should be rattling off 10 more, big time college Anthony Brown is in Oregon now like so many of, of our top guys um, all at this event so it's really neat where all these youth and high school quarterbacks get to work together with our best colleagues our best NFL players on the same field so this picture and, and you know guys that listen to the podcast you know what we're talking about here but Lauren and Kevin have asked to kind of sending a picture that meant something to me that felt like a turning point kind of a pinnacle point and this picture was taken from our first flight school event. It was in Atlanta just a year ago, Father's Day weekend last year. And why this was so important to me was this felt like the first big thing that like we did, that like I did. You know, you do the National Football Academy thing and you're like one of the coaxes in somebody else's organization. And I loved every minute of it. And then Quings and I came together to do this quarterback takeover thing and we're growing, right? We got I know, probably a hundred kids now in the Atlanta area at different levels that come to group sessions that we do private training with, you know, I'm in Charlotte and Tennessee all, every weekend. And, you know, Quincy's in Arizona right now with the Sean Watson, and then he'll be down in Miami with Dwayne and, you know, he's all over and it's become kind of this national brand. And so now we have this first camp, first time we ever did it. It's a very high priced camp for a an athlete to attend. And you got guys come from California and guys come from Washington state and guys come down from New York. And it was like, you felt like we did something, you know, like what we thought we could come together and do this felt like the moment where we kind of did it. And so Quincy Avery, he used to do the the trademark towel around his head. This was me more <laughs> half mocking half uh, you know, a little t- tip of the hat to him. But I always thought it was a funny picture to have this This was me kind of, you know, doing my best Quincy Avery impression here. But, uh, You know, but like I said, you know, he's a mentor to me. You know, we've been very fortunate to partner together. He's younger than I am, you know, but he's had this success and uh, has given me a lot of opportunities. Um, I know we were working our way around to, Kevin, your question about the the, the NFL players and kind of how they seek out or am I, you know, I think it's a combination of both. Sometimes you're picking up on things that they don't know. um, But other times they're saying, hey, this is something I want to work on can you keep an eye on it for me? And so the reason I wanted to kind of bring Quincy in and people understand the relationship is that's kind of been the uh, position I've been fortunate to be in. So if the Sean Watson is in town for a three day weekend to train, you know, he's training with Quincy, right? Like, like no doubt about it, but it gives me the opportunity to kind of be like a second set of eyes on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, Quincy will look to me for what I'm thinking. I'll tell Deshaun, I'll tell Quinksy, Quinksy'll tell Deshaun, Deshaun will look, you know, right? but it gives you this extra. So a lot of the times, maybe I'm taking video of specific, they're working to the drill and maybe I'm focused just on his footwork or just on a piece of his arm path. And then maybe I'll show, you know, the quarterback, the video, right? Hey, here, see, like I'll slow it down. See that where your elbow is here. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's because, you know, a quarterback like Deshaun, Jalen Hurts was really good about this. We had Jalen through his pre-draft process and now he just signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, got drafted with the Eagles. Um, He was good about like, hey, keep an eye on this for me because I know I'm working on it, and I'm going to be doing this drill, and Quincy's going to be busy running the drill. Can you keep an eye on this. And then every five reps, maybe he'll come over and he'll want to take a look at the film. Hey, show me how's it look. You know what I mean? So it's been neat. I think it's the coolest thing. I actually think it's what we do, Quincy and I, and QB Takeover so uniquely is having – you know, what I like to think are two really good top-level guys in the whole space, and we're doing it together. And so anybody who's training with us is, is getting kind of both of us all the time. And now we've built it out, and we have three other – Coach Brian Beasley, Coach Shy Shorty, um, guys that have been with us for a couple of years starting as volunteers and now have become part of the QB Takeover staff. So, you know, a daily group session like we were just last night Wednesday night, we're at a local park. Probably twenty-five quarterbacks and five coaches, right? And so you're getting this really cool QB to player ratio. Um, they're getting, uh, like, they're getting input for me, and maybe Quincy's seeing something a little different, and then Coach B's is seeing something a little different. We're all obviously believe in the same thing, so we're talking the same, you know, uh, verbiage, if you will. Um, but once again, maybe he connects. Maybe I say something that a quarterback here is a little differently and it helps him more than the way he heard it from Quincy. And, but the last piece back to the the whole QB takeover relationship is it's just more fun. Like it's more fun doing it with a guy I respect, the guy I think is the best in the industry at what he's doing. Um, and you know, we'll go a session I'll do a drill and then I'll kick it to Quincy and Quincy will do a drill and kick it back to me. And, you know, I think about when I started and you were just lining up six one-hour private training sessions one after another after another you know once again it's still the best job in the world but it's a little bit more of a grind if you will than than what we're doing now it's is pretty and i still do the i'll go to charlotte and do nine in a row so I, I still love that piece of it um but it's been fun to kind of you know have a partner you're doing all this stuff with what's I'm the youngest oh, go ahead lauren
2: Sorry. (laughs) I'm curious, you know, over the years of exposure you've had to to athletes and and obviously in particular quarterbacks, what have you noticed uh, are some maybe keys to success or some things that differentiate the ones who are going to be able to kind of leverage their potential versus the ones who maybe aren't?
0: Yeah, without a doubt, it's like a mental toughness, if you will. I don't even know what the right word for it is, but it's it's just are you going to be able to handle the pressure of what you're trying to do? You know, and like I said, we talked about how the landscape changed, but from where I played and to where it is now, I mean, you literally have to be able to put aside the distraction of, hey, who, did anybody offer you yet? Like, are you are you going to the Clemson camp this weekend? And mm-hmm. you know, and like, hey, there's you know, this the Top Gun quarterback, you know, whatever these events that are. It kind of made up all over the country. Where we're gonna find the best keep, you know, in fifth grade. You know, we're gonna find the best fifth grader, and he's gonna win the whatever. It's just, it's a lot, right? But quarterbacks are inundated with this stuff. And now we're in Georgia. You play 7A high school football in the state of Georgia. Same thing like Florida, California, Texas. I mean, there's 10 guys on that defense. They're that gonna play Division One football the next year. You know, like I see it. Like I'm the the court. Like I'll be at a high school game on a Friday night. And that safety and that DB are like starting in the national championship game as a freshman the next year, right? So it's like the pressure of being a quarterback, even at the high school level, let alone obviously colleagues, then the NFL, like we all know what Twitter and social media looks like. You know, you you throw one interception and, you know, that the comes hailing down on you, right? So right. you have to, and that once again, that's just the outside football distraction, let alone like, are you going to? get up at 6 a.m. to do the necessary work? Are you going to focus every day? Are you going to make the sacrifices that are necessary to be the best at what you are? You know, Deshaun Watson, and we keep coming back to him, obviously, but there's, he's as unique as anyone I've ever met with the way he mentally, he just processes things. And when I first started to get lucky enough to be around them, I, you know I just ask him questions is, is there anything specific you're trying to work with be you know he'd open up to the left side and look at this route and then he move and then work through the rest of the um, you know through the rest of the concept or through his progressions and so I, I think like I said the coolest thing about having the opportunity to be around to Sean is you kind of see firsthand the way he processes things and so you know as we talked earlier he's a guy that sometimes will say hey I'm working on this specifically keep an eye on it but I kind of learned early on to just kind of pick his brain a little bit during a session and he was always very receptive to that and you could tell kind of liked talking through it going back to explaining the why and so he'd be a, a quarterback where you know we'd be working through a concept and maybe he'd work you know a around to the left side and then he'd reshift his footwork based on like coverage and and work through the rest of the progression and i would kind of ask him like what his thought process is what what would cause him to not throw this route hot. And, you know, he starts to explain like, well, you know, when New Orleans runs this coverage, you know, they'll bring a safety down and they'll rotate over. And, and it was when I first started to understand, it's like, okay, cool. So he's, he's not just going through the motions. He's not just like getting reps throwing. He is like visualizing. I mean, we're talking like, you know, we'll be in March, you know, like on a Saturday and he's visualizing something he saw on film from last season. And and he's continuing to, to get better. So I remember the beginning of the question was, you know, what sets the best guys apart? And and I think that's that's very unique. Probably not that unique at the NFL level. I think that's how they got there. Um, but Deshaun specifically, from a mindset standpoint, I just don't, you know, know anyone better. And his just his willingness to keep seeking out. We talked this whole podcast was about seeking out and getting better um you know there's a there's a, a guy uh Seth McCowski, he's more or less like a chess master where he he basically shows time into the athlete space of the idea of how to high level mindset training, right? And things that the quarterback they need to come mm-hmm. up, they need to survey the landscape, they need to see able to attack from the opposing player access. Where's the defense able to do it? You know, and that's something that Deshaun has has just started to jump into and Quincy Avery, you know, got those guys together and and I can't speak highly enough of Seth. He's come out to our flight school events. He now works with all of our top colleagues QBs. It's just what's that next piece? What's something else that can continue to to the develop and, and help these players have success on the field. You know, Quincy and I take care of all the physical stuff. Quincy can get on the whiteboard. We can talk strategy and we can talk scheme and plays and things like that. But, you know, what's the extra thing, you know, and that's where I think you put your ego aside and you find people that can help you. Um, And you start to build like this, you know, whatever this like family of, of people who are all working together to make that athlete as successful as possible. It's been pretty neat. Mm-hmm.
1: What do you, uh, well, I guess before we move on to the keys of your success, uh, have you, I meant to ask this earlier, have you, yeah. do you think it's still possible for a player to make it to the highest levels without coming through a program such as what you offer?
0: Yeah, I do. You know, I, I think you're always going to have the outlier athlete, you know, and some could argue like Deshaun Watson maybe being in the NFL if he never worked with Quincy or me or Seth McCowski or anybody else, right. Um, you know, first of all, there's really good coaches at the high school level at youth football colleagues. So without this personal training space um, you know, I think a lot of quarterbacks are getting developed really well. It, once again, it just becomes that 1% better thing. And so I think clearly people understand that, this about can i beat out the other guy for the starting varsity quarterback spot maybe the extra work i'm doing in a private environment the piece that takes me over the top there trying to you know be the guy who gets against every other quarterback in the country who does what you do and uh so i think quarterbacks that that are serious about being the best they can be seek out anything they think can help them even if it's just that 1% better. But without a doubt, I mean there's there's athletes that, you know, Malik Willis, who I mentioned earlier, and that kid was gonna go play college football before he started training with me. Now I think we did a lot of good stuff. I think we really changed his arm path. I think he's throwing a lot better. I think he's, you know, much more consistent. And but, you know, he I didn't help him run a four-four, right? Like he's just a natural, phenomenal athlete. Um, so I think you always have those. Um, and, and that being said, I'm not sure a guy who doesn't have a certain amount of natural ability, I don't think I can get him to the NFL. You know what I mean? So I think we have to all be realistic about really how much me personally or us as a brand QB takeover, you know, making a difference. You know, I'm not taking, like I said, a, a kid who can't walk and talk at the same time and put him in the NFL. Um, but I certainly think, and, and obviously all the guys we work with will will speak to that, We are helping them accelerate their development.
2: So that's a question that we ask everybody. And you you said you listened to a a couple of these. Um, This idea of you know the debate about nature nurture, how much of it is what we're born with or our physical capabilities, how much of it is what we invest into it or resources. So it sounds like you're saying you're there. You're kind of a believer that it has to be a little bit of both. But can you expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I, I do. You know, it's so funny, though. Like, I think there has to at least be, like, a minimum threshold, if you will, of the nature of, like, you have, you know. And, and it's it's cool to see, especially over the last 10 years, in the quarterback space it's even changed. Before you had to be, like, 6'4", you couldn't play quarterback. Right. And now you're seeing a success of guys like Drew Brees and Kyler Murray and all these guys who you know, I'm not sure if Kyler's five nine. Right. But he so at least the height requirements have changed a little bit. So the thresholds may be not the same. But um, but obviously you're talking about a phenomenal athlete in his own right. So I think there's certainly a combination of size and athletic ability that becomes a minimum requirement to at least playing at the highest level if you're talking about being a really really good high school quarterback even in Georgia or Texas or the most difficult places to play you know I I think you know you can hard work your you just gotta I mean you gotta hit it perfect and everything else you do Um, you know we talk about trying to maximize potential all the time um, and some guys never do. And, and some guys, you know, like right now as a sophomore in high school, man, they're playing at like the top level of what they have. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keep going and you're trying to get them maybe raise their level a little bit and, you know, it's going to cap out at some point. Um, the, the biggest thing for me that I've kind of seen is things that I used to always think you had to be born with you know, there are opportunities to develop that, you know, talk about things like leadership, like being a leader, you know, um, that, that mindset stuff that, you know, that used to be something like a man, you know, you, you're just born like that way, you know, and you see a guy like Jalen hurts and you're like, wow, he's born with that. Right. But, you know, like, like I said, come from the hospitality industry background. Like we did leadership training and management Mm -hmm. training. I saw front desk associates who were scared to talk to the guest, who then found ways to, you know, kind of command and, and understood how to communicate better. And, you know, and I, and we talk about that stuff a lot throughout the work we do with quarterbacks. I talked about Seth and the chess and, you know, obviously that this elite mindset training, there's a place for that. These guys are getting better. They're developing. Maybe they're just understanding how to hone into a skill they were born with and they understand how to use it more effectively. But, um, you know, nature is a big piece of it. If you want to put a percentage on it, it might be 85, 90% of it. Um, but I don't think there's anything that you can't nurture along the way a little bit and continue to raise the stakes.
2: Thank you for the PSA for my field. <laughs> it's been I'm a long it. time, a long time for us. To labor, and even for you know, even for me, right? Because
0: I'm <laughs> Yeah, because I think it's very easy to think that like, oh well, you know, he you born with that. Like, oh, I wish my dad was six four and you know, rang was an Olympic track star, then I would have been great. You know, it's so easy to dismiss it that way. Um, but no, without a doubt, and, and I've I've come around just because I've seen it firsthand. So I think that's the biggest. you know the biggest uh compliment to what you guys are doing is you see it firsthand in the best athletes that i've been around you can't help but believe in it
1: so what do you see as uh keys to your success
0: yeah we touched on a lot of them i you know i think the just really communicating well you know when i think about okay what do i think i bring to this space that's unique i think it's, it's certainly not knowing the most right Back to the toolbox, you know, my toolbox might have a thousand things in it. I've seen the guys on Instagram that, you know, want to talk about the kinesiology of everything and, you know, this muscle. I know a lot of that stuff. I certainly don't know what those guys know, but I I can communicate it to the quarterback in a way that's going to help him get better. You know, we talk a lot back to those coaching circles and people I collaborate with about kind of the difference between like a theoretical coach and a practical coach, right? And, and this industry, once again, cause there's no minimum requirement to get in it. You just kind of slap your name on Instagram. It, there's a lot of theoretical coaches in the profession that I see, and they can use all the right verbigs and use all the right language and all these things. And then, but man, like I'm not, I'm not seeing their ability to make the quarterback better. Um, and I think so much that has to do with communication has to do with the buy-in, and then understanding through really just you know I know you guys come from the background of 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 the uh, you know almost like the ten thousand hours type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so you 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 build that through trial and erroring. And you work. So now I'm a lot better at understanding Wix tool to use to actually help the player and, and understand that what works for Joe is not going to work for Bob, and 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 you know, it can't be a one size fix, all piece. And, and I think that's really, um, you know, as I look back, I think it's the thing I do maybe as good as anybody is, is applying actually, you know, I look at, we talk about accelerated development. I keep using that phrase. So I look at every hour training session I have and my goal is to how much better can I make him in that amount of time. And so now you cut out the stuff that's not helping, you know, like running around cones in the sand or something you know like that's great if i have four hours then yeah i'll do an hour in the sand and and then we'll do three hours of other stuff if i only have an hour then i better do the two or three things that that quarterback needs in this moment right now quicker i know to use the right tool and get there you know then i'm i'm helping so that's, that's to me kind of you know what to move to get the desired result
2: i this is a question i had earlier that i didn't ask um it can similar to my area when you know meeting with someone working on the mindset piece i've been asked the question of like well how do you define a good coaching session right yeah um so for you what what are your thoughts on that like how when you walk away from a session with an athlete what had to have happened or what did you have to do in that that you're like that was a good one
0: yeah i think there's different components and and it depends on kind of what the focus of the session is like i'm you know i i do think you're you're looking for that one percent or whatever better each session you know or like i said if it's a kid just learning to throw then hopefully we're going 20 percent better right but <laughs> um but that can be defined in different ways like sometimes we're focused on a specific piece like generating more power maybe so uh, one of the big things we're focusing on a lot now is the deceleration phase of the throw that sudden stop that's going to allow you know the whole like you know kinematic chain to just to 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 kind of result into power through the football that makes sense so if I'm focusing on that key point then I want to see progress in what we're so if we're doing these drills to inform the feel and then the quarterback starting to maybe he finds that unlock and starting to look good then you apply the pressure to it and it's holding up well that's a great session we had a specific point we we're working on and now I've seen him better at the end than what he came into with right other times we're working on kind of a general you know similar to what I would think Cokes Payne would be doing like a shoot around we're working on everything and so maybe it's a good session because he just worked on 10 different things. Maybe we didn't learn anything new, maybe we didn't unlock this thing that's gonna you know, make him a better thrower, but he certainly was able to recall things that we've worked on over the last few weeks and he can go from one to another without a lot of coaching behind and you know, that's important too, that would be a good session as well. Um, and like I said, sometimes it's the session where that kid's thrown as bad as I've ever seen him throw. <laughs> But that doesn't mean it's a bad session. Maybe it meant that I, f- now I found where his weakness is. And so now the next session, now I know where we need to attack. Or maybe we attack him in that session, to you be now depending on where we're at. But you know, I, I think I think it's hard to find a bad session unless you don't really know what you're doing at all and you're just throwing things against the wall and see what happens. But, you know, you should be able to find value. It goes back to what I was talking about with coaches. Even a bad coach. I can talk and speak ideas around, I'll find something. Maybe he's got something. The one thing he knows well, right? The other stuff is terrible. Maybe there's one thing. Or maybe just in having that conversation, you feel stronger about your opinion. You know, there's something I believe in this more than maybe I thought I did. Um, so I think you find value in just about any time that you're putting in if you're engaged and you're and you're looking for the right stuff.
1: So what advice would you have for an aspiring quarterback?
0: Yeah. So for an aspiring quarterback, I think it's about, um, you know, you, you can have that kind of decision with yourself, that conversation with yourself is like, do I want this? Like, do I, am I willing to put the amount of time in to get to where I want to be? Because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for a lot of frustration and God forbid, misery. I mean, you see it, unfortunately, you see these high level college athletes and you know, there's a big conversation about suicide and things that we need to have, like, that that happened. You guys know this in your space because there's this pressure, pressure, pressure. And if you get so self-consumed and the only thing that's a win is you having success, you know, that's, that's a really dangerous place to be in. With yourself, are you willing to make the sacrifice? You know, we talk a lot about the idea of like, don't sacrifice what you want most for what you want at the moment. College athletes are giving up a lot of extracurricular stuff that a normal college student is able to do, even just getting a part-time job, right? There's all these things you can't do. You gotta be willing to make that sacrifice. Um, and I think the earlier it goes back and then if they're going to buy in, know that they're buying in fully and are ready to do it, that's the biggest key for guys who are aspiring to be like a quarterback coach. So it's obviously what I try to tell everybody. It's just try to just be around as much as you can. You know, I think the biggest thing that hurts people from growing this industry is wanting to compete with everybody. And without a doubt, the guys who collaborate, and even if it means volunteering like cool event that like i've always wanted to just you know be around and see close up and things like that like you know i it's like if 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 this is what you want goes back to quarterback or my i if, if this is what i want i want to be at the top of that then i don't understand the mentality of there being anything that you wouldn't be willing to do to get there um so that would be my big piece i guess cool.
1: anything uh we haven't asked that you would like the listeners to know
0: Not really. I really enjoyed it, guys. It was fun to kind of talk through and need to kind of have to uh, have to put words behind kind of my belief. The, The one thing I just want to continue underlying, especially in this profession, is there are a lot of really good guys that do what I do all over the country. You know, I get emails and DMs like, oh, we don't have anybody in New York. You do. You just got to find them a little bit. And you're gonna to have to do the work to find them because it's a watered down industry now. Kind of kind of weed through it, and sometimes it's trial and error. And it gave me an opportunity to underline again that how I'm a high school coach. I coached high school football for 11 years, so like there's great coaches at the high school football level. Um, and then if you feel like you need a little bit more, then there's guys like me as well. So.
1: And the biggest
0: takeaway from your story. Biggest takeaway. Um, you know, I think just uh I mean without getting into like the, you know, like pursue your passion or take the leap or you know, I like I, I wanted to make sure I, I spoke earlier about like listen, I was fortunate. We moved, my wife's got a great job. I was basically a stay-at-home dad who coaxed on the weekends. Like I know people aren't in that same position. But, you know, I was also working like overnight shifts at the hotel so I could coax high school football, right? So like once again it goes back to the this is what you wanna do. Why wouldn't you do whatever it takes to get there? Um, You know, I know my situation is a lot more fortunate. Quincy Avery's got a remarkable story about how he got to where he's at um, and and the the things he had to overcome. Uh, I'm fortunate I didn't have to go through that. But, you know, I I think you have to kind of pursue what you want and kind of, you know, like I said, just be willing to take it each step at a time Um, because you can definitely get there. Like, I, you know, I was – I was happy doing five guys on the Saturday, you know, training five quarterbacks on a Saturday. I was happy doing that. And then each step kind of led you to like, and now you're looking like, ah, maybe I can get to that next thing. Or, you know, like I, man, that guy's, he's training guys in the NFL and then he's on ESPN on the weekends doing, that's cool. Maybe I can do that. Right. So you just kind of, it goes back to collaboration piece, surround yourself, be around the people that you kind of want to be you know, I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway for me.
1: Well, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. It was a great story. I, I'm
2: sure
0: I
1: speak for Lauren as well. When, when I, got, I got lost in it, I can't speak for her, I guess. But. <laughs>
2: no, <it> was great.
0: <laughs> I appreciate you guys. I felt like, you know, it's, it's always fun to tell the story. And then you feel like I've been talking for 10 minutes. So I appreciate you guys uh, <laughs> staying engaged with it. Thank you very much. It was awesome.
1: Thank you. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.